It is a big day for the Bankless Nation. We've got a special episode for you to celebrate the news. Arbitrum is dropping a token, the ARB token. We're going to talk about that and many of the announcements from today. David, who do we have on? Uh, we have two of the co-founders of Arbitrum, Stephen Goldfeder and Harry Kalodner. If you are familiar with the Arbitrum ecosystem, these men need no introductions. They have been with Arbitrum since day one, uh, and the day has finally arrived. I think today is unofficially going to go down in Ethereum history as Arbitrum Day, or at least Arbitrum Token Day. Uh, every I mean, every March 16th? News. Every March, March 16th. We'll, re we'll remember today. Well, <laughs> it is a big day because, I mean, of course, we all like to talk about tokens. The tokens sure. are a very big deal. People love to talk about tokens. More than it that. It's not the only announcement that Arbitrum is bringing to the table today. There are other things that we must discuss. Uh, so there is the Arbitrum Constitution. There is these cool things called Arbitrum Orbits. And these things all are what the Arbitrum token governs over. Remember, these are responsibility tokens, and now there are things to be responsible over, and there is a way for people to express that responsibility, which is the token that we all know and love, the ARB token, and that is what's happening today. Well, I can't wait to accept my responsibility, and uh, <laughs> I can't wait to dive into this episode. Guys, we will be right back into the episode with Stephen and Harry. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this possible, including Kraken, our number one recommended exchange, the exchange that didn't let you down in 2022. Kraken has been a leader in the crypto industry for the last 12 years. Dedicated to accelerating the global adoption of crypto, Kraken puts an emphasis on security, transparency, and client support, which is why over 9 million clients have come to love Kraken's products. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, the Kraken UX is simple, intuitive, and frictionless, making the Kraken app a great place for all to get involved and learn about crypto. For those with experience, the redesigned Kraken Pro app and web experience is completely customizable to your trading needs, integrating key Key trading features into one seamless interface. Kraken has a 24-7, 365 client support team that is globally recognized. Kraken support is available wherever, whenever you need them, by phone, chat, or email. And for all of you NFTers out there, the brand new Kraken NFT beta platform gives you the best NFT trading experience possible. Rarity rankings, no gas fees, and the ability to buy an NFT straight with cash. Does your crypto exchange prioritize its customers the way that Kraken does? And if not, sign up with Kraken at kraken.com com/bankless Learning about crypto is hard. Until now, introducing MetaMask Learn, an open educational platform about crypto, Web3, self-custody, wallet management, and all the other topics needed to onboard people into this crazy world of crypto. MetaMask Learn is an interactive platform with each lesson offering a simulation for the task at hand, giving you actual practical experience for navigating Web3. The purpose of MetaMask Learn is to teach people the basics of self-custody and wallet security in a safe environment. And while MetaMask Learn always takes the time to define Web3 specific vocabulary, it is still a jargon-free experience for the crypto curious user. Friendly, not scary. MetaMask Learn is available in 10 languages with more to be added soon, and it's meant to cater to a global Web3 audience. So are you tired of having to explain crypto concepts to your friends? Go to learn.metamask.io and add MetaMask Learn to your guides to get onboarded into the world of Web3. 
Arbitrum 1 is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum 1, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum 1 and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Hey, Bankless Nation, we have Harry and Steven on this Arbitrum Day. Happy Arb Day, guys. It is great to have you back on Bankless. We've heard you got a few things to announce, so we're super excited to have you on. How's it going? It's good. Happy Arb Day. Thanks for having us on here. All right, so um, every time you come on, we ask the exact same question at some point during the conversation. Usually, Usually we end. save it to the end. <laughs> Today, I'm going to bring it to the very front of this episode. When token? When Arbitrum it. token? <laughs> March 23rd. Did you guys not see the news? <laughs> <laughs> Tell well, us about it. Where should yeah, we congratulations, begin? guys. Yeah, this congrats. Yeah, I'm sure this has been a long time coming, of course. Uh, so, uh, Steve and Harry, we were on a Twitter space today. So, people that were tuning into that Twitter space as well, they might hear a rendition of these same questions. Uh, so, when was it known that a token would exist? And then, so that's the first question. Second question, when did you know that it was going to be launched uh, in March 23rd? Yeah, so we, it's funny, because if you look back to like a bunch of years back, we were vehemently against the token. Mm -hmm. uh, people love to post this like little snippet of Ed. Uh, I think it's on maybe 2020 or so where Ed said there are no plans to launch token in Discord. And that was the truth at that time. Uh, for us, you know, the it was really a technical decision that drove us and we realized as as these you know if you went back in history like the whole vision of what arbitrum was 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 different you know they were like if they read the arbitrum paper there was there like every chain was an app chain so as the vision emerged and there was like one public chain um for many for many applications for many projects it became clear that decentralized governance was the only way um you know to to actually have a secure decentralized layer too. Again, in the app chain world, everyone could just control their own their own environment. But in the shared environment, you know, it was clear to us that a token plays in a very important role to decentralization. So I think it was a gradual process over time, but probably sometime, I would say maybe uh, probably in, in the year and a half, two years ago is when we coalesced and realized that um, at some point in the right time when the technology is ready to be decentralized, um, this is an important step towards decentralization. When do we know it was March 23rd? We've been targeting this vicinity for for a while, um, but um, it was on, was only uh, in the last you know week or two that we actually honed in on on this day. Um, and you know, part of it is you know, there was a lot a lot of turmoil earlier on. We wanted to make sure that there wasn't uh, the world wasn't failing on the day we did it as well. So, um, but uh, you know, probably in the last uh, week and a half, two weeks is when we really honed in on on this day and planned for this day. Beautiful and, and yeah, go ahead, Harry. I was gonna say the, the other thing be, there being, I think a lot, you know, there there are a lot of projects out there that kind of, um, that I don't mean in the LTS, I just mean in general, where they kind of announce announce token plans, and then there is kind of like a a long, long, long journey to actually sort of like 
execute on those plans. Whereas I think kind of from the beginning, we felt as though like, if we're, if we're going to do the thing, we're, we're going to do the thing um, and sort of like, you know, take it seriously and like come at it with kind of, you know, fully prepared, which was kind of, you know, I think critically important for us. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, just talking to people out in the Twitter sphere and in various discords that y'all waited long enough that some people had like given up hope that Arbitrum would ever issue a token. And that's when I said, that's the moment that they will issue a token. When all <laughs> when all hope seems lost is when the token will arrive. Uh, and it seems to be that, that today is 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 the day. Um, Stephen and Harry, I'm wondering if you can kind of just like place us in history for Arbitrum, right? There's like and also Ethereum history, right? And so it's it's 2023 in in, in Ethereum. Uh, we have 4844-ish around the corner. We have understood Ethereum to have this roll-up centric roadmap. And then in, in Arbitrum history, we have, you know, uh, Arbitrum Nitro is launched. We have Arbitrum Nova. There's other future things in Arbitrum. Uh, on the Arbitrum roadmap, why why is now the right time for Arbitrum? Like of all of all times, of all milestones that Arbitrum could achieve, why is this the right milestone for the Arbitrum token to to arrive? Why now? Uh, yeah, so it really falls into the right place in the uh, technical roadmap. So you mentioned Nitro. Um, Nitro was a critical uh, upgrade, an very important upgrade, an upgrade that gave us better compression but for users, better throughput and lower fees and really allowed us, uh, allowed Arbitrum to handle the capacity that's that's come to it yesterday. Uh, anecdotally, um, we had, uh, Arbitrum had, Arbitrum 1 had about 40 TPS sustained for a while. I think wow. someone was like uh, trying to test, test the waters there. And um, so Nitro is really a critical component to uh, making sure that Arbitrum could handle the traffic that's that's coming today and the traffic that we imagine uh, will continue to uh, steadily increase in the future. A few months after Nitro, so I think it was in November, just a, you know, a few months ago, um, uh, you know, we announced that uh, about a dozen institutional validators have been validating the Arbitrum one, uh, have agreed to validate the Arbitrum one tra- uh, chain, and then included uh, companies like Unit Four Hundred and Ten via Coinbase. Ethereum Foundation, Google Cloud, really, really strong validator set, which was a very important step in the decentralizations. They were added to the whitelist for the validators, and they are providing security to the chain. So naturally, the next step for us was, okay, so there are independent validators. There's a fraud-proof mechanism that actually gives the chain the connection to Ethereum. Now is the time to give up chain ownership. And we at Offchain Labs don't want to have control over the chain. Uh, we want to give this chain to the DAO and to the community. And it was a natural progression. Now there is this mature technology that is you know, validated by roughly a dozen independent parties. And it made sense to remove the, the, the most glaring remaining point of centralization was the ownership of the chain. And some people might might ask, like, well, why don't you just get rid of the ownership of the chain? Like, you don't need an owner. The chain works. It, uh, it has. And the answer for that is upgradability. And upgradability can be for new features that the DAO should choose to choose to uh, choose to uh, deploy on the chain. But also, it's for you know, in emergency situations where there's uh, you know, hopefully not, but a security incident, and um, the chain needs to be upgraded away from that. So you have these two things that are sort of in uh, you know uh, in conflict a little bit. On the one hand. You want someone to be able to upgrade the chain. On the other hand, we don't want there to be any centralized entities to have that power. And the natural solution is don't have a centralized entity, but give that power to the down the community. And this was the largest re- point of central of centralization remaining of the chain. And naturally, it was the it was the one to tackle now. 
Beautiful, beautiful. I want, I want to get into some of the details of the actual Arbitrum uh, token, the actual airdrop distribution and airdrop criteria. So I'm going to share my screen here and pull up this uh, this pie chart. And I'm wondering, Stephen, if you could just walk us through this pie chart, right? Uh, so we got uh, a various a various set of uh, participants here, investors, team, and, and future team plus advisors, uh, DAOs and Arbitrum ecosystem, individual wallets, and, and DAO treasuries. Uh, so let's start with individual wallets because that is, you know, quote unquote, the airdrop. Uh, can we can we start there and and we'll walk through this pie chart and then we'll go into how people became eligible for the airdrop. Absolutely. So individual wallets, like you said, is the typical airdrop. Those are the uh, tokens that will go to user wallets. These are, these are Arbitrum users, and you know, we can uh, I'll, you know, I'll explain soon, or uh, you know uh, we can get into what the criteria is, how, how they're eligible. But fundamentally, looked at different types of usage in the chain and tried to find tried to find the real users and eliminate some of the Sybils or the airdrop farmers to get to, you know, because they deal, you know, remember, the point is to give governance power to the user, to the community, you want to really get the actual users that are invested in the protocol uh, to to be represented. Um, I'll go clockwise, I guess. Uh, the Dow Treasury is next. That's also a community portion. Um, a com it goes to the community fundamentally, but it goes to the Dow Treasury. Um, it's not given out in the airdrop. That will be uh, used to fund the DAO over time, given to the community via grant programs. Uh, part of that will also be a discretionary budget to the foundation, uh, which will be proposed in AIP-1, which is already uh, proposed to give $750 million, a uh, million tokens, sorry, 750 million ARP tokens to the um, to the foundation. And the foundation will be able to uh, do discretionary grant programs as well. Again, all approved by the DAO, but uh, you know, should it be approved by the DAO AIP-1, um, but gives the, the foundation an operating budget as well to uh, execute on the uh, will of DAO, hire people, et cetera, to do that. Um, the next bucket is team and future team and advisors. And this is basically um, current and future uh, people that are affiliated with Offchain Labs, which is the initial company that built that built Arbitrum and um, and also future employees of Offchain Labs. There is, you know, we'll, we'll also... Uh, be eligible for for upside there, so there's a, a bucket reserve for them too, and that that's um, that's uh, 20, 26.94%. And then investors, these are the arbitrary investors, and we, um, uh, sorry, the off-chain labs investors. We raised three funding rounds uh, to date: uh, a series, uh, a seed round, a series A, and a series B. And um, all those investors, besides for their equity, which they'll keep, uh, will also get token um, token tokens. Um, and it's 17.53% you know, is what they get. It's important though for these two, I just want to clarify, whereas the airdrop, which we discussed, that will be available March 23rd, users will be able to claim it, uh, transfer it to what they want with it. The investors and the team portion uh, have some more restrictions attached to them. And uh, number one is they are locked up. It's a four-year lockup with a one-year cliff. So what that means is um, for the first year, the tokens will remain locked, and no one will, no one will get any will get any of them. Come the first the, one, the first anniversary, um, they will get one quarter of their tokens, and then they'll gradually every month um, uh, the the remainder will vest uh, for the next three years. So four years, first year nothing. Then there's sort of a large amount, uh, which is a for everything they would have gotten monthly over the first year, given them at the end of the first year, and then monthly uh, from them on. Then on, that's true for investors, and that's true for the. Uh, team and future team uh, bucket as well. Uh, the second uh, restriction uh, on the team is we've instructed everyone at Offchain Labs not to vote uh, directly with their tokens, um, but to 
really empower the community and increase the community say by going through the delegation process. And this will be uh, part of the claiming process will be the ability to delegate tokens to community members. So the team will not be allowed to vote their tokens themselves, but they will be encouraged to delegate them to delegate them to community members that uh, apply them for themselves as delegates. Uh, the next uh, last slice, I guess, is the DAO airdrop. And this is um, a really interesting um, part of the airdrop. You know, it's, we consider it part of the airdrop as well, but it doesn't go to individual users. Instead, it goes to DAOs in the Arbitrum ecosystem. Uh, so Arbitrum ecosystem projects that have DAOs, that have their own communities. And, and the idea is the individual, you know, we can talk about eligibility criteria, but the individual uh, wallets, you know, will... You, you can never be perfect. And uh, we at Offchain Labs, together with uh, the Arbitrum Foundation, as well as Nansen, worked very hard over the course of many months trying to build criteria that sort of optimize for getting a large number of users, but also giving them something meaningful. And these things are in conflict, right? You can you can try to give every user every touch of the chain, and then everyone gets something very little, or you can try to focus on um, a, a, you know, a smaller but still significant set of users and try to give them something uh, more significant. Um, but of course, there will always be people that are missed. For example, someone that recently started using Arbitrum might only have a transaction or two, and they might not be eligible for the airdrop or for the individual airdrop. And it's hard to you know discern for them sometimes from an air, from an airdrop farmer. And so this gets a little bit difficult. So one thing uh, that we've done is the DAO airdrop, which gives the tokens to these DAOs and they can decide how they distribute and use those tokens and how ultimately their community gets the benefit of those tokens. So another distribution channel, um, but, but ultimately from communities that know their users much more intimately than those designing the airdrop for the entirety of the, of the chain does uh, do. So uh, much more targeted um, airdrop as well. Together, those two buckets make up the airdrop. So if you look at the pie chart, though, um, that little one and the two next to it, those are the community portion portion of the of the uh, of the uh, of the distribution, and the left side is the um, sort of what they call insider, which is investors, team, future team advisors, and you can see that the majority of the tokens, um, roughly fifty six percent, will go to the community. Um, Twelve point seven five percent initially, and then over time, um, more via the Dow Treasury. Yeah, and so this we... uh, DAOs in the Arbitrum ecosystem airdrop, I, I think is actually particularly interesting because I don't think we've particularly seen that before. And this is actually a prediction that I made. So I'm going to go ahead and give myself a small pat on the back here that uh, Arbitrum was sufficiently um, uh, as a community, as an ecosystem, as its own uh, ecosystem is large enough that there were actually now DAOs inside of Arbitrum that have their own native communities. Uh, and so I think really what this is meant to do is uh, giving certain power over to the DAOs to uh, decide from themselves who and how they should distribute the last of the ARB tokens. Uh, and so here, I'm, I'm glad you went counter, uh, glad you went uh, clockwise from the individual walls because we could end up there. And, and I also just want to just double tap on the uh, the DAO treasury, the 43%, the which I think is, yeah, the, the largest uh, part of that supply here. This is really just about empowering the community with future uh, tokens to do future things, right? And so to me, I see the the individual wallets and the DAOs and the Arbitrum ecosystem as rewarding past behavior. And then the DAO treasury is like, all right, well, this is for future growth of the ecosystem, future uh, allocations towards whatever the community decides. And the DAO treasury will be up to the community, right? And is that, is that the right uh, idea here? Absolutely, yeah. The DAO treasury will be 
fully up to the community to to allocate and you know that that's it, it, it belongs to the community it's given to the community and the community will have to say where it goes um over time and um yeah that that's uh yeah we expect uh, the community to uh you know do very interesting things and build the arbitrum ecosystem and, and act in the best interest of the arbitrum ecosystem uh with its tokens so this is a governance token which also uh, brings the question of what exactly in the arbitrum ecosystem does this token govern over and so i think you were saying earlier uh, Stephen, that um upgrades is a key feature right and if you want to have some sort of human driven upgrade then there requires some sort of governance decision and that governance can have degrees of centralization or decentralization this makes it more decentralized but what exactly are they governing over what what are they kind of sovereign over is it the arbitrum one chain is it arbitrum nova is it anything else beyond that um yeah so it's arbitrum one and arbitrum nova so actually an interesting detail the actual governance and voting will happen in arbitrum one but it will govern both Arbitrum 1 and Arbitrum Nova. And you sort of want the voting to be in one place because imagine that there is stuff going on in 1 and Nova. You don't want users to have to move over their tokens. So all the you know all the, all those users that want to take place in either of the governance will happen in Arbitrum 1. But fundamentally, it will govern both of those chains. And it could be that the DAO will adopt a new chain to govern over time. We mentioned before earlier, and I'm sure we'll get into later, that um, part of this announcement was making it easy for people to launch their own Layer 3s permissionlessly. That doesn't mean the DAO will govern them. If you actually want the DAO to say, hey, take ownership and own this chain, that would obviously require um, the DAO to uh, agree to that. Um, but the other thing that they, the other two big items that that it governs is um, the arbitrary, you know, the, the direction of the arbitrary ecosystem via its, its technology, so via upgrades, but also via the spending and aligning, right? So it can foster the ecosystem by giving grants or uh, trying to align with other projects and other developers. You know, today we off-chain labs, what is our role? We're a service provider to the DAO. If the DAO asks us to build a feature um, and we know how to build that, we'll build it. You know, we, um, but fundamentally we're servicing the DAO. I imagine over time that will become a more competitive space, but in a good sense, right? There'll be others as well that want to build technology for the Arbitrum ecosystem. You know, we don't have a privileged role there um, and those uh, tokens will be able to uh, align with other service providers as well. And the last one, which I touched on, which I think is really interesting, is the ability, um, the DAO will have the ability to license additional layer two chains. So this is a bit of nuance. There are two parts of Arbitrum Orbit. One is layer three chains. And layer three chains, these are like um, these are, uh, are roll-ups or any trust chains. It could be either one of our technologies that settle onto a different Arbitrum chain that's approved by the DAO. So like Arbitrum 1 and Arbitrum Nova, those are permissionless, open. You can, without going to the DAO, without asking anyone by nature of the license that exists today, uh, go ahead and launch your own layer three chain. Uh, you can modify the code. You can customize the chain to do really whatever you want. Um, but it may be a time where someone says, I don't want a layer three chain. I want a layer two chain. And the DAO might say, you know, one might say, hey, does it make sense for the DAO to share? You know, Arbitrum has best-in-class technology. Does it make sense for the DAO to share this with a different layer two chain? Is that competitive? Is that a good idea? And different people have different. This is a deep philosophical argument, and, and, and you know, many people have different opinions on this. But fundamentally, our our thought was, it shouldn't be our opinion on this. It's a it's a controversial topic. It should be the community's opinion. So the community via DAO governance will have the ability to launch to license other L two chains on Ethereum. One of the principles of the DAO, though, that is Ethereum aligned, if in the constitution, there's a series of values listed, and one of them is Ethereum alignment. So it will um, 
it will by nature of that of that constitutional uh, um, value uh, look to approve layer twos that are on Ethereum, but whether or not it approves them is fully and grants that license is fully in the discretion of the DAO. So just to make sure I can uh, repeat back what I heard and understand. So if if I want to launch three, then that is completely permissionless. I can just go do that on top of um, Arbitrum One or Arbitrum Nitro. If I want, is that correct so far? Yes, Arbitrum One or Nova. Yes, or Nova. Excuse me. And if I want to, um, if I want to launch my own chain using Arbitrum technology, then it goes to Arb DAO vote. Basically, it goes to kind of token vote for this. So yeah, your own layer two chain, your own layer yes. two chain. Yeah, exactly. Your own layer two chain that settles directly to Ethereum. Um, that's basically equivalent to Arbitrum One in terms of where it sits. That would have to uh, be proposed to the DAO, and then would be up to the DAO to decide whether it wants to grant that license or not. Is the Arb token being used as a um, you know to pay for gas fees or anything else? Is as as that changed, or is the Arbitrum ecosystem still using ETH as its uh, unit of account and exchange here? That has not changed, and that's you know enshrined. One of the ETH alignment uh, values enshrined enshrined in the constitution is that that won't change. Um, ETH is the gas token uh, of the chains, and uh, the ARB token will not uh, be used uh, for that um, uh, as enshrined in the constitution. By the way, just just to kind of quickly circle back to that first category, just because to expand slightly, in the, you know, protocol upgrades and kind of protocol control. Just because I think it's useful to sort of unpack it a little. Um, since it sounds relatively dry, but I think there's a lot of stuff in there that's pretty interesting. So that includes kind of permissioning over um, who who is validating the chain and adding validators. It can it includes control over who actually runs the sequencer. Um, potentially, kind of you know control over over sort of alterations to kind of how how kind of the sequencer handles things like like strategy around MEV. Um, it controls certainly kind of protocol upgrades and sort of to what degree sort of new EIPs are adopted. Um, so there's kind of a, a, a huge amount of kind of pretty pretty important control there where, where the DAO will, will be kind of fundamentally in the driver's seat. So guys, I want to get into a little bit of the eligibility for how people got their tokens. And uh, one thing we, we didn't talk about on the uh, Twitter space this morning was how difficult it was to prune away all of the farmers. Uh, but I'm going to load up the this website here, this brand new spiffy website, Arbitrum Doubt Foundation, which is where you go to check your eligibility. So I'm going to go ahead and hit this button and I've got a wallet loaded up here and I've got 3,125 tokens. Uh, and I think these are all the categories here. And each one of these categories has different teams. And uh, Stephen, if you don't mind us walking through, you can speed run this pretty quickly, but just like sort of the uh, the strategy here for how these these tiers were selected and, and then uh, some of the strategy also pruning away all of the farmers. Can you just talk about the, the strategy for eligibility here? Yeah, so um, you know, bridging funds is obviously one of the key key metrics uh, that that we use, um, which is do you have funds on the network? And you'll see, also these these top ones are for Arbitrum One, mm -hmm. um, so transactions over time. So what that means is, um, you know, uh, how this is another way to see real real sustained users from users that um, um, may may uh, come and go. Like some users sometimes do their transactions over. A day, and they come, and, and and that you know that might be typical of an airdrop farmer. They come, they they transact once, and they never come back. But users that you know transact over two months or even more, that that shows some sustained usage of the chain, and it's reasons you know to to believe that this is a more aligned user 
um, transaction, um, you know, frequency and interaction that says uh, how many transactions or how many smart contracts, if, you know, in a single transaction, the one interact with, which again goes to um, be a, a, you know, a metric of how deep was the usage of the, of the chain? Was it a single interaction? Was it a more, much more complex interaction? And there are different levels of that. Transaction value is exactly what it sounds like. Um, and the idea being that um, it's not the only category because we don't want to over, you know, overemphasize or there are ways to get larger drops by, by using lower value. But one, one input is how much value was transacted and more, more points are given for, for more um, assets bridge arbitrage one, just how much, how much did one, did one bridge? And then uh, the same thing, those are for all for Arbitrum 1, Arbitrum Nova. And the reason, by the way, by Arbitrum Nova, it's not that it's a less important chain. It's just, it's a chain that had a much uh, smaller life cycle. It's only been around since August. So it has a sort of uh, minimized uh, criteria, which is, um, you know, a single a single point system that sort of mashes in whether or not one interacted an Arbitrum Nova. All these are added up to a point system and we have these in our docs, the conversion. And... Um, there are also ways that people can can lose points, right? Those are sort of the positive ways. But if people um, do certain things like create, you know, patterns that look very much like symbols and farming, they can lose points as well. And so uh, the, again, the idea being looking to align to the real users, not those that were uh, not those that were give, to give the governance power to the real users, not those that were just uh, trying to farm the airdrop. And all those go ahead, go into uh, criteria. Uh, there's a set of points. And the nice thing is, so I mentioned that. Off-Chain Labs worked with the Arbitrum Foundation and Nansen with this. Nansen um, is actually putting out, I think, a, a large blog post uh, on this and their process, and we worked very closely together. And we're also publishing, we actually have already published all the data around this. So it's not like this opaque box, like these are the criteria, these are the categories, they're pretty broad. And any user that's so inclined and so technically inclined can go ahead and actually do the analysis themselves and re, you know, repurpose the, repeat the analysis and say, okay, this is actually correct. Um, this is the amount of points that I have, and this is the uh, this was done correctly and fairly. I always think it's funny we've come on an awful long way since the the Uniswap airdrop, haven't we? Which is basically, yeah. Did you did you use Uniswap? Okay, you're getting tokens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, now that would be game. That would be farm. That would be impossible right. to do. And so we're much more complicated. And uh, it it sounds like the criteria you guys uh, put forth was just. Um, necessarily complicated to kind of wean out all of the the farmers and uh the mercenaries and get to the actual users in, in the community and yeah, I, uniswap I, had it real easy <laughs> but but i almost wonder is like um you know so this is obviously open source this is posted right guess what happens they 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 adapt they adopt for the next one i mean a year or two later the next uh, airdrops are going to have to get even more complicated still uh, that just definitely seems to be the trend, but but well done on the on the work to kind of uh, weed out and uh, focus on the the good users here. The one thing I like though, which I think we, you know to, to counter that, which might be helpful, is so we didn't only give positive points for things that look good. We actually took away points, and this might be a deterrent in the future. It's just like you could have you know if you just didn't do the farming, you'd actually get more points and more tokens. So by nature, That's the good. Fact, these additional activities you lose. So maybe I hope. For additional, you know, uh, airdrops, you know, they, people might think twice and said, "I actually may not only not be helping myself, I actually may be actively hurting myself by doing this." So that's, um, you know, we, we can only hope that 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 might have some effect. <laughs> it feels like an arms race. <laughs> right. Totally is yes. definitely an arms race, guys. There's a lot more to talk about. Um, there's a new constitution 
Uh, and the the word constitution gets me up and going because it implies some sort of network state, some sort of community ownership. Uh, I think there's still a lot more to talk about with the phase of decentralization that Arbitrum is in, uh, as well as things like the community of validators and the security council. And we've talked about layer threes at a high level, but I want to go into that a little bit more. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Uniswap is the largest on-chain marketplace for self-custody digital assets. Uniswap is, of course, a decentralized exchange, but you know this because you've been listening to Bankless. But did you know that the Uniswap web app has a shiny new fiat on-ramp? Now you could go directly from fiat in your bank to tokens in DeFi inside of Uniswap. Not only that, but Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism Layer 2s are supported right out of the gate. But that's just DeFi. Uniswap is also an NFT aggregator, letting you find more listings for the best prices across the NFT world. With Uniswap, you can sweep floors on multiple NFTs, and Uniswap's universal router will optimize your gas fees for you. Uniswap is making it as easy as possible to go from bank account to bankless assets across Ethereum, and we couldn't be more thankful for having them as a sponsor. So go to app.uniswap.org today to buy, sell, or swap tokens and NFTs. The Phantom Wallet is coming to Ethereum. The number one wallet on Solana is bringing its millions of users and beloved UX to Ethereum and Polygon. If you haven't used Phantom before, you've been missing out. Phantom was one of the first wallets to pioneer Solana staking inside the wallet and will be offering similar staking features for Ethereum and Polygon. But that's just staking. Phantom is also the best home for your NFTs. Phantom has a complete set of features to optimize your NFT experience. Pin your favorites, hide your uglies, burn the spam, and also manage your NFT sale listings from inside the wallet. Phantom is of course a multi-chain wallet, but it makes chain management easy, displaying your transactions in a human readable format with automatic warnings for malicious transactions or phishing websites. Phantom has already saved over 20,000 users from getting scammed or hacked. So get on the Phantom waitlist and be one of the first to access the multi-chain beta. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to phantom.app slash waitlist to get access in late February. Hey, Bankless Nation. If you're listening to this, it's because you're on the free Bankless RSS feed. Did you know that there's an ad-free version of Bankless that comes with the Bankless Premium subscription? No ads, just straight to the content. But that's just one of many things that a premium subscription gets you. There's also the Token Report, a monthly bullish, bearish, neutral report on the hottest tokens of the month. And the regular updates from the Token Report go into the Token Bible, your first stop shop for every token worth investigating in crypto. Bankless Premium also gets you a 30% discount to the Permissionless Conference, which means it basically just pays for itself. There's also the airdrop guide to make sure you don't miss a drop in 2023. But really, the best part about Bankless Premium is hanging out with me, Ryan, and the rest of the Bankless team in the Inner Circle Discord only for premium members. Want the alpha? Check out Ben the Analyst's DGen pit, where you can ask him questions about the token report. Got a question? I've got my own Q&A room for any questions that you might have. At Bankless, we have huge things planned for 2023, including a new website with login with your Ethereum address capabilities, and we're super excited to ship what we are calling Bankless 2.0 soon TM. So if you want extra help exploring the frontier, subscribe to Bankless Premium. It's under 50 cents a day and provides a wealth of knowledge and support on your journey west. I'll see you in the Discord. And we are back. Because it's Arbitrum Day, talking all things Arbitrum, especially ARB tokens. Uh, one thing that we missed, though, when we were talking about the token distribution is that one particular guild, one particular DAO, got 
and token airdrop of the ARB token. Steven, uh, walk us through uh, Protocol Guild and, and why it was determined that uh, they should, whoever they are, uh, should get some ARB tokens. So what's Protocol Guild? Who are they? And why did you decide to give them some tokens? Yeah, Protocol Guild is a collective of ETH uh, core developers and contributors from really the Ethereum Foundation and around the ecosystem and in a variety of companies. I think it's roughly 100, uh, 100 individuals, if, I, if I'm uh, remembering correctly. And they do really important and often uh, thankless and uh, thank and uh, thank thankless and sometimes uh, you know uh, really community work that's important for everyone. Um, and we definitely have benefited tremendously from the, their work, both by the fact that Arbitrum uh, is a is built on Ethereum and also um, you know our the Arbitrum technology uses Geth. Uh, uses pieces of the Ethereum code base. And um, when designing the airdrop, I think the thought was the thought between us at Offchain at the Arbitrum Foundation and uh, was, you know, this would is something that would make sense and is owed to them almost uh, because of the fantastic work that they do. And really um, we'd like to uh, include them in the airdrop. That's that's uh, even though they're they're not technically eligible, right? They're not an Arbitrum DAO, they're not on Arbitrum. I'm actually not even sure how they're gonna have to figure out how to get their tokens because they are on, on, on Ethereum. So that's gonna be, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure they'll get there, but um, they definitely didn't meet the official criteria. But again, when you, when you think about the principle, the point of the Arbitrum governance and and distributing the airdrop is to put the governance and the power in the hands of individuals and people who um, are in acting in the best interest and who better uh, the chain and will and will and will work to to um you know to to further the interests of ethereum and arbitrum and who better to uh to have represented in governance than uh than the folks at protocol guild so yeah so, yeah just to be clear uh to everyone uh, steven so protocol guild is working on general ethereum public goods right mm -hmm. um ethereum infrastructure stuff related to arbitrum but not part of Arbitrum, it benefits the entire ecosystem. This exactly. is a group of, of, of builders that are building that uh, that public good. Um, and they are also a DAO as well. So it's very cool to see layer two step up and start to support the uh, the OG layer one, Ethereum, where all of this stuff is uh, is built and originates. I think that like start, I mean, well, for a long time, obviously, we've been kind of deeply, you know, had a ton of respect for kind of ethereum development and l1 development and you know in a personal capacity for a long time i think that like our our acquisition of prismatic labs last uh october now maybe um really kind of like you know brought home kind of getting the chance to sort of work with core developers on a kind of day-to-day -day basis really sort of just drove home kind of this idea of this extremely tight alignment between layer one and layer two where we're all really solving the same problems and we're all kind of very you know interdependent on each other and that kind of you know i i think there's a lot of hope that sort of as the as the arbitrum dao kind of grows and expands that that and i think kind of one of the principles of the dao is ethereum alignment um to try to hopefully kind of main, maintain that ethos uh in, in perpetuity so one of the big stories here is uh the constitution Arbitrum, it's got a constitution. Uh, and the only way that a constitution comes about if there are things to govern over and people to govern 
whatever we're governing over. But uh, uh, Harry, you want to walk us through just like the, at a very high level, we, could, we uh, I think at some point listeners and viewers will have to read the constitution for themselves, especially if they have their newfound responsibility, but just give us the, the ethos, the social contract that the uh, Arbitrum constitution has set in stone for us. Does it start with we, the people? Is that how we start this <laughs> one? We, the, we, the Arbonauts. <laughs> I feel like that's a, that's a lost opportunity. Yeah. I'm kicking myself now. Um, Come on, guys, this is supposed to be a good net. No, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, it, it's funny. It's the last section in the Constitution, but like I mean, a, a large chunk of the Constitution has to do with kind of very kind of technical details of the governance of the chain um, and kind of the idea of there's there's kind of constitutional and non-constitutional proposals. There's kind of the different categories of actions have various different sort of pathways to going through. I think it's kind of quite in line with kind of what people expect from how's DAOs function. I think that like in the Ethereum ecosystem where people participate in a lot of DAOs, there's a lot of value in not forcing people to learn some completely new system every time. Um, and so kind of staying within sort of expectations in terms of kind of maximizing participation and, and understanding um, was valuable. But then you get to the uh, to the bottom um, to the, the community value section, which I think is kind of really important. And is this kind of idea of like, what does it mean to be arbitrum which i think we hadn't really kind of talked about a ton in the past um we tend to be kind of relatively heads down building and kind of that's the sort of thing that requires sort of really sort of zooming out and and introspecting a lot and i think kind of the the development of the of the foundation sort of found um a, a series of values that i think kind of really align the whole community um ethereum alignment is number one there um, that fundamentally kind of being being part of Ethereum is sort of the whole thing. Um, there isn't really, it doesn't really make sense to kind of be be sort of a, a roll-up project without that, I think, in, in, my, in my personal view. Um, sustainability is a really interesting one. That's kind of the second thing listed there. Um, the idea being that like, this is, so Offchain Labs has been around for, um, since I think 2018 now, that will soon look like nothing in the lifetime of the DAO, um, that fundamentally, like this is building a structure that should survive, you know, decades, centuries, more. <laughs> it's hard to know, but, uh, you know, having that long-term vision is, is kind of incredibly important. Um, secure, security is is fundamentally like the thing um, that makes rollups matter. Um, and so kind of maintaining that as a central focus is kind of fundamentally just critically important. Um, Socially and technically inclusive, um, the kind of fair launch ethos that we started with um, uh, quite a while ago now, I think has really just grown and spread in the Arbitrum community um, in a way that sort of having it be a like open, welcoming place where kind of new projects and new people can enter easily um, and feel at home is is kind of just, in, you know, incredibly important and kind of core to how people think about it. Um, and that also goes to the last principle, kind of neutral and open. Um, and then last, but certainly not least, user focused, that like fundamentally all of this eventually comes down to the users and having Arbitrum be a place where people actually want to be um, and interact um, and, and kind of live their lives, uh, live their, you know, digital lives online. And like the, that really kind of, I think, sums up to me in a big way, kind of what all of this is about. So the Arbitrum values, Ethereum aligned sustainable and to me that that means oriented towards the long term secure socially inclusive technically inclusive user focused and neutral and open 
those are the values that uh, this community stands for. Big like thumbs up. Values. Big thumbs up. <laughs> I like those. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also important that like, Harry, you said it, and I'll just like double tap on it really quick. Like the reason why we need a constitution is that like this ship is sailing. Like this is you guys casting off this ecosystem to maintain itself. And so the internal, I don't know, like rules and, and laws and self-regulation that you guys have at Offchain Labs does not matter anymore. Like this is now in the hands of the community. And so you, this is like this code of conduct, if you will, for the Arbitrum network state. And so this is really why we need something like this. It's like, hey guys, this is what we stand for. This is what we value. This is what we want. And that can change with a constitutional update. The, the bird has <laughs> left the nets, nest, right? It's like they're, you know, it's set on its, its, its own course. What, what I really like about these principles is I feel like they're the sort of thing that's kind of obvious in hindsight um, that when you see it written down, I, I, you know, at least I personally, I would not expect there to be kind of a lot of, you know, dissension and debate. I think that probably these are things that like people in the Arbitrum ecosystem just kind of felt day to day, even if they hadn't sort of like put words to it. It's almost like it's, it's more important for the future, right? Like um, when you onboard the next, you know, 10 million people and there's difficult decisions to make, then you can point yep. back to the founding values of this thing. And you say, Hey, we could, you could check that decision against these values. That's where it becomes more important to, to scale that culture. Exactly. I think one of the, the last subjects we'll, we'll have to talk about is one of the things that Arbitrum governance can actually govern over, which is who validates the Arbitrum chain. Uh, and so this gets into the conversation of phases of decentralization of our rollups, which I think we we all know in the Ethereum ecosystem is something that we can improve upon and do better. Ethereum critics really like to talk about how centralized our layer twos are. So Harry, can you walk us through what today means for the overall state of decentralization for uh, Arbitrum and layer twos in general? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of fundamentally, like you were saying, sort of Rollups, the the path to decentralization for rollups has has been one that has taken time. Uh, it's kind of we all wish that from day one all of it had been perfectly decentralized, but obviously there's kind of the tech is complicated. Um, and and Vitalik, uh, some number of months ago now, uh, time in crypto is very hard to deal with. <laughs> um, great a great kind of template for how we kind of think about um, rollup decentralization. Um, and, and I think kind of with with this change, the the sort of um, the state that the chain had been in where kind of we still and, and before and after this change, there's there's upgradability. Um, but the great thing about the the kind of movement over to the DAO um, is that the only sort of instant upgrade mechanism that is left is this entity called the Security Council, um, which is elected um, is which is selected through elections every six months by the DAO. Um, and has uh, 12 members with a nine person threshold um, where the members are from all sorts of organizations and all sorts of locations all over the world in order to create as kind of strong a set as possible. Um, and, and that sort of decentralization is kind of key to the actual real security properties of the chain. Um, because fundamentally in a lot of ways, security is your weakest link and kind of strengthening up that link is sort of this critical step to being in 
stage one where we are now, the second stage of decentralization, along with having working fraud proofs, which is, of course, something that we started with, actually, when we first launched the team. So we had that one very early, but the the kind of second tier of, of, of uh, how we control upgradability or how the DAO controls upgradability now um, is kind of the big change today. So, Harry, you guys are at stage two of decentralizing uh, the Arbitrum rollup then. And, and refresh listeners, so how many stages are there in Vitalik's um, model that he put together? And what's kind of the end state? How close are we to that? Yep. So it's actually, so we're, we're in, st- it started with stage zero. We're now in stage one, which is the second. So <laughs> Vitalik in a, in a he, class. He's got to start with zero, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, he's be, he's being a decentralization hard ass. Oh, he's being a programmer, right? Like yeah, raise yeah. start at zero, exactly. don't they? Okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, so kind of stage one is like I described, basically the combination of having working fraud proofs and having a kind of sufficiently large um, upgrade multi-sig with a kind of sufficiently decentralized uh, and, and high threshold. Um, and, and that's where we end up today. Um, the last stage is basically kind of making good on sort of an, an even more decentralized promise um, and, and the kind of and getting to sort of the final state with the kind of two big tiers of which one is completely permissionless validation um, where kind of today the DAO controls who can validate um, and, and but the goal would be that power is removed from the DAO because everybody can validate. So there's no need to uh, permission it at all. Um, and the second part is is to remove instant upgradability, which there has been a lot of very interesting kind of conversations about sort of methods by which that can be done. There is this kind of a clear and difficult balance here in terms of ability to kind of respond to security risks in the system um, and kind of desire for sort of strong kind of trustlessness and decentralization. And it'll be kind of really interesting to see the DAO sort of explore those trade-offs and kind of find the best ways to sort of, you know, if you can have the best of the most of be- best of both worlds as kind of things move forward and evolve. Okay. So um, can we talk about this too? So we've got the the ARB token. We've got governance in place. So this entire ecosystem is more decentralized. We've got uh, Arbitrum 1, we've got Arbitrum Nova. Um, what are these things you were talking about called orbits? Is this related to the concept of layer three? I feel like the entire concept of, I mean, just when crypto is getting its head wrapped around layer twos, hmm. we're, we're throwing layer threes at them. And I, I want you guys to help us imagine what layer threes will be like, what they can do in the same way. Wow, was it like, uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago, when you first came on and uh, Arbitrum was one of the very first layer twos to kind of launch and you were painting the picture, the two of you guys were painting the picture for the bankless community of like, we're doing this thing called a layer two, here's what it's going to be like. And I remember being very uh, excited and blown away by that episode. Are, are we looking at a similar type event for, for layer threes? What are layer threes and are orbits related to them? Before we go into that, I was just thinking the amusement park uh, metaphor. Yes, that's yeah. right. We had this. So for bankless listeners, you remember this episode? God, when was that? I don't know. Twenty twenty two destroyed me from a twenty twenty one. Yeah, this episode was in twenty twenty one. This yeah. was in twenty twenty one. It was like uh, late August or, or September, I think. Um, right, we yeah. had this analogy of a layer two is coming, and um, 
you know, the theme, it was like a theme park on, on Ethereum. And uh, we, we didn't have the rides open yet, but builders were going to go build the rides and let everyone in and it'd be amazing. This is basically what we have. I mean, I look at the, the, the small brain community and the treasury ecosystem. I mean, these Who are the rides. really want you to give an E, right? They, they got to really earn it. They got to earn it. All right. Oh. Um, <laughs> you got to earn it with those likes. So, um, yeah, we, what's layer three going to be like? Is this like an amusement park inside of an amusement park, like an underground type of experience that that we can all, all go and, and use? Like, how is it going to be different? So one way to, I think, describe it is like a priority lane. That's uh, you have projects that they want to be on Ethe secured by Ethereum, but they want um, their own uh, priority lane. They don't want to congest with others. They don't want to have share capacity with others. One of the coolest things about layer threes and layer twos is Arbitrum has roughly an order of magnitude. So, so 10 times the capacity of Ethereum, any layer three chain would itself have that same capacity as well. So these layer three chains have the same capacity as the chain that they're, that they're built on. And um, what I see, and I can in conversation with projects, so who wants this and why do they want this? It's a, it's a few different types of projects that want it. One is projects that are doing really, really well. For example, um, you know, this is like, there's been a lot of public conversation about Yuga Labs, where, you know, they had the other side launch and the, the congested Ethereum. And there were a lot of people saying, hey, you need your own, your own, your own, your own priority lane on Ethereum. That could be a layer two, but it could be a layer three as well. And they have their own priority lane. They get the security of Ethereum. They're in the Ethereum ecosystem but they have priority capacity and app developers or chain developers, I should say, can customize this, right? So Yuga Labs or someone else could say, hey, uh, we're going to launch a chain, a layer three, and anyone can launch on this chain, but it's sort of our ecosystem by branding, or they can actually lock that in and say, we're going to launch a chain. And the only contracts allowed on this chain are ones that are deployed by, by Yuga Labs. It could still be secured by Ethereum. It just wouldn't have permissionless um, app application uh, deploy deployment on it. Those are customizations that we've heard projects. There. I'm using Yuga Labs as an example because it's in, you know a public a lot of public conversation around it. But those are some of the conversations we've had. And the other big one is a lot of times projects want to make their token the center of a particular chain. So whereas our values say Ethereum ETH or Ethereum aligned and ETH will remain the token of the public chain, so Arbitrum One and Arbitrum Nova, uh, that doesn't mean that a different uh, team that's building a layer three will say, hey, we want our token or their token, I should say, to be the fee token of this chain. And I think we'll see we'll see a lot of that happen as well. That's uh, you know a conversation with teams. That's something that comes up as well. But I think, uh, again, it's either about wanting to build an ecosystem that's tailored for them or wanting to have that uh, specific and reserved capacity for them. And layer three, you know, you, you might say, oh, oh, this sounds like it's good for everyone. Like everyone should have their own chain. Why do we even have public chains? It's it's not the case. It's really, there's like a, you know, for, for some projects, it's, it's, it's good, but there's also, you have to think about the infrastructure, right? Etherscan, Chainlink, uh, you know, um, node providers like Alchemy and Fura, Quicknode, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, are they going to go ahead and support a, you know, hundreds or thousands of other chains? Probably not. They might support the big ones. So if you're sufficiently successful, you might be able to get that infrastructure. But there is a benefit of being on the public chains to have access to the public infrastructure and also to have access to the synchronous uh, interactions. Right? You might say, hey, I want to be on the chain where Uniswap is. Like I, my protocol taps into Uniswap liquidity. That's another, right? So it's not like a uh, silver bullet. Everyone wants their own chain. It's better. Really, there are some developers and some applications, depending on who they want to be co-resident, co-located with, what their capacity is, et cetera, whether or not it makes sense for them to have their own chain. Uh, but that's sort of the vision and why some of the projects that we've spoken to uh, want this. 
and you know we're putting this out there just as uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an option, a tool for developers. And, and the other thing is it's good for experimentation, right? You know there are EIPs that um, um, you know that are proposed but not yet on Ethereum. Sometimes controversial. You can go ahead and launch an Arbitrum L3 chain on mainnet, and you do it in a way that um, you know that EIP, an experimental chain with with different changes, changes, and sort of run them in a mainnet environment, a sort of a mainnet test environment. Um, so a lot of, I think, room for innovation here and uh, testing grounds as well for for changes that may make themselves into um, other chains, even Ethereum itself. I just want to like add a, add a kind of, so when we launched Arbitrum 1, I, I think kind of the things that like, I think were the coolest were the things we didn't see coming were mm -hmm. just kind of like the innovative, weird uses of the tech that just like you know who 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 came up with that stuff and you know i i really sort of am, am, am looking hoping and looking forward to sort of that being the case with sort of arbitrary ability to use the arbitrum code base to deploy l3s um mm -hmm. i i fully expect people to come up with some crazy ideas um that we couldn't possibly think of right now which i'm very excited for Right. And this is what happens, of course, when you put code out into, you know, the universe, people do crazy things. And this is kind of the cool thing that keeps crypto fun and interesting and weird, right? Like you don't know what happens next, but that's also kind of the point. The only comparable that I really know about is um, Uniswap V3 code. Uh, it's under license for a certain amount of time. I think that time is like four years that we are one year into or something. And uh, a DeFi app on uh, the Ethereum layer one volts protocol uh, made a submission to Uniswap DAO to use the Uniswap V3 license, to use a Uniswap V3 code. Uniswap DAO said, yeah, you can use it because in the proposal, Volt's protocol gave Uniswap 1% of their tokens. Uh, and so that's what convinced the Uniswap DAO to vote yes, you can use our code. And uh, we don't know what comes next with this Arbitrum code base, but now the point is, is that it's in the hands of the Arbitrum token holders because now the token exists. Uh, and so that weird future unknown state uh, will be determined by the people that have all of the responsibility, which uh, is what we are celebrating here today. Responsibility, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, um, as we as we draw this to a close, I'm, I'm just curious, like this has been a, a huge moment, of course, and a lot has gone into bringing the Arbitrum ecosystem to this point. Um, this is... Uh, distribution of responsibility. This is um, distribution of ownership. Um, this is a uh, distribution of, of governance. Um, but what is next for Arbitrum after this? Like, are you excited about EIP 4844? Is that a thing that's interesting or coming? Um, is our, uh, kind of the blossoming of the, the layer three? Is that what you're most excited about? Um, Arbitrum Nova, is, is that a thing? Like, what is the next thing the crypto community should should look for from from Arbitrum. Yeah, so I guess this is the first time we're on here where I say you know like we we don't have control over the answer to that question, which is the interesting part, right? Like fundamentally, I can tell you what excites me. So I'm very excited about EIP four eight four four. I'm also very excited and and hope the DAO continues to take steps and expect the DAO to to decentralize and get rid of that whitelist, which we know which which you mentioned, which is really um, one of the last steps of decentral of decentralization. So those to me are are really excited um, in terms of- And, and why, why 4844 for people who aren't aware of what's going to happen there? Yeah, so 4844 um, will basically, uh, so rollups like Arbitrum, but really all rollups, they put a lot of data on Ethereum. 
And that's critical to the security. So we don't talk a lot about the fraud proofs, but in order for the fraud proofs to work, and even actually for validity proofs of ZK rollups, you need the transaction data in a compressed form put on Ethereum. Um, and it turns out that that's actually the largest cost for, our, at least for Arbitrum and optimistic rollups, is just putting that data on Ethereum. And if you have you know a five cent tra transaction fee and a five cent transaction fee, the majority is actually just passed through to Ethereum to put data on chain. And um, what what EIP four eight four four will do will have a uh, introduce a really targeted at rollups a cheaper path to put data on chain, and uh, you know lots of different um, lots of different um, uh, estimates out there about you know I don't want to get into to that because I'm not entirely sure myself of of what the of which is correct and how much cheaper it will be, but it's fair to say it will be many times cheaper and uh, significantly reduce the cost of using rollups and really make Ethereum even more competitive with, with other chains. You have the security, you have decentralization, you have the scalability that comes from layer two, but now we're talking about scalability that comes from layer one. And these two working together will really make the fees even lower. Harry, how about you? What excites you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, like the, you know, certainly just like the unknown of like what will what will the future? I don't think the future has ever felt more kind of just unknown. Um, which like after four years now of kind of being being in the company position and kind of stewarding the chain ourselves, it's kind of like really a great feeling to sort of not, you know, not be in that position anymore. Um, I think, you know, certainly like, you know, like Steven said, 4844 is very exciting. I think for me, probably the thing I, I would list as most exciting is basically the kind of prospect of of kind of finding a path to hit stage two of that decentralization roadmap. I think getting to getting to stage one, I, I think was a lot harder than getting to stage two. Um, like kind of I think the general feeling is that sort of getting to stage two is a is a like very feasible thing with some technical challenges, but like very much something that like is kind of very possible and and sort of getting to that would obviously mean kind of actually making good you know when 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 sort of ethereum kind of created this image of of a roll-up centric future it kind of like you know i view that it has almost created a, a debt that like the roll-up protocols owed to like be worth being that future totally. and, and kind of getting to stage two would be making good on that promise guys cool. i'm i'm sad because this is the last time in this episode that anyone will have ever asked you when token you'll, you'll never hear that again <laughs> Is that actually, a relief? The Twitter replies. So usually I can't tweet without a billion of one tokens, and now uh, they've all gone away. <laughs> no. Bummer. The, We're the, in a different era. Or dinner. What was it, Stephen? Dinner? Oh, um, the main course. <laughs> the main course. <laughs> oh, guys. Well, congratulations for getting all the way to this point. Um, and thank you for being pioneers into the frontier and, and taking us, so many of us along with you. Thank you for having us, as always. Thanks for having us. You can go check your eligibility for the ARB token at arbitrum.foundation. We'll include a link in the show notes. As always, risks and disclaimers. None of this has been financial advice. ETH is risky. So is crypto. So are layer twos like Arbitrum. All of DeFi is. You could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Ryan, they're all asking for it, man. Wait, did we get 400, no, 248, nine likes. I think we need one more like before this Oh, happens. it's coming in. Oh, they're liking I don't, it I don't right see it. now. I don't see it. 
They want. I, they I want it. Given the official signal, I'm not only am I watching the YouTube chat, but I'm also watching the Small Brains Discord. How do you say it? How do you say? It? <laughs> All right, let's do it together. One, two, three. Ready? <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha